Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It's The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Evan McMorris-Santoro, who is sitting in for Bill. Evan's going to be here in just a moment, but uh, for now, I'm going to get the show rolling. Evan is in a, a, a cab on his way over here. It's been a bit of a morning. It's been a bit of a morning. I'll just put it that way. But uh, you've got me for now, and we're going to have Evan hop in the seat here in just a couple minutes as soon as he gets here. But uh, first of all, I want to thank you all very much for tuning in and joining the show. I, I want to start with this story because uh, Emmanuel Macron, who was here in America just last week for the big state dinner, he's on a bit of a world tour, I guess. So he was over in uh, Sydney, Australia, meeting with Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia. And <laughs> this is so funny to me. Macron meets Malcolm Turnbull and his wife, Lucy. And Macron says, I want to thank you for your welcome. Thank you. And your delicious wife. Ew. Your delicious wife. Now. His English is good enough to, that's not. Okay. that That's what I thought, right? Like, I figured that was the deal. But f- to be clear, uh, the Prime Minister of Australia has come out and said he took no offense to that. She found it flattering and charming and figured that there was a lost in translation situation happening there. I would say probably don't call someone's wife delicious. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. It's a little creepy. Creepy is a way, like probably the best way to put it. But I love it. I love that he's trying to be nice. But I agree. With, I thought his English was good enough that he would know. But they they're all just sort of saying like, "Whoops, that was just sort of like." It was lost in translation. He didn't really mean that in the way that, like, you would think that he would mean it. But thank you 
and your delicious wife. <laughs> By the way, my French accent sounds kind of like Borat. I can't really. I don't. I don't speak French. So that was a pitiful. French oh, no, I can't. I can't. Do, I can't do it. I, I, I just I also own just that. Decided that if it were Justin Trudeau, maybe it'd be okay. <laughs> In French or English. Okay. You'd be all right with that. I think I'd be okay with You'd that. Be okay with that. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull says Lucy was very flattered, and she has asked me to say that she found the president's compliment as charming <clears throat> as it was memorable. Oh, I'm sure it was. He's a, I mean, he's a heartthrob type of guy. This Macron, right? No. No. That's a no for me, dog. It's a no for you, dog. I thought he was. I thought he was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Macron is delicious. I think that's how we just describe people, like from from here on out. I want to thank you for your welcome and thank you for your delicious wife. If you're at a dinner party, don't say that to somebody. That's all I'm gonna say. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that to someone. Look, the man has better speaking skills in English than our current president. There's Fair. no way that he didn't know that would be awkward. I mean, I, I look, I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because no world leader, I don't know, that, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I should just shut up and stop defending. I'm not defending it. I, I, I find it funny, and, and clearly the prime minister funny. of Australia finds it funny too. So it's like not like there's some huge outrage, but still. <laughs> <laughs> your delicious wife <laughs> anyway uh thanks for tuning into the show evan mcmorris santoro is here he's going to take over the show here uh after we take a very very quick break here on the bill price show thank you for tuning in uh i'm going to jump over there behind the board we're going to have evan right here we we'll do a switcheroo stay tuned y'all Show. Good morning, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMorris Santoro. We've done a beard change in the studio. We've swapped out uh, Peter Ogburn's sort of large Viking beard for my much more trim Vice News beard. It's very you have you've got a TV beard. I, I, I've got a radio beard. You've got a TV beard. It's true, actually. When I got the job at Vice, they give you a style guide if I'm supposed to look to be on Vice, and what they say is you have to be very what they call structured. So this is as structured as I can be at 7 a.m. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Evan McMarsh Santoro filling in for Bill Press. Um, you know, uh, you, you know that Vice News is the most punctual news network as we are. So everybody who's up and 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 made it where they needed to be this morning, um, I salute you. And uh, you know, I came in just a little bit behind you. So it's so it's good to see you all. I, I heard. Wanna, I just have to say this, uh, and I don't mean this as a knock. Bring because it. Because we we we, no, it's, we it's, love having you in. Let's do it. But there is the Evan plan. 
<laughs> There's an Evan plan. In case of emergency, break glass, but in this case, you, you just leave the glass open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In case yeah. of... <laughs> the Evan plan is, I've got to prep five minutes of material. Well, something that happened to me was that I moved okay. here in our city of Washington. I moved from a apartment that was about halfway between... Uh, halfway closer to the studio than where I live now, and I keep forgetting that. So, so I get in the car and I'm like, I'm on it, I'm doing it. It's like, oh wait, <laughs> oh, no, crap. that's right. So today my lift told me that I was going to be here at seven fifty six fifty nine, uh, which doesn't work for radio, folks. My show's on tape. Um, anyway, so listen, I heard you talking a bit about um, uh, France on the way in. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, about Macron and all yeah. that. Yeah. Um, my most interesting thing about that, I thought, was. The fact that we learned that that tree that they planted actually had to be pulled up and taken and, and is put into some sort of tree quarantine. Yeah. What happened? Well, this is apparently how it works. What You, you can't just give somebody a tree. So the tree comes in. The Betsy Klein at, the, at, 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 at CNN, who was a great um, embed on the trail in 2016 and is now, like, killing it at CNN, wrote this great story about how this tree is dealt with and how you, what you have to do is the tree comes in, yeah, the, like they, they do the ceremonial sort of planting of it, but that immediately is removed. So as the um, offending dirt or whatever French, uh, I, I, I don't know, whatever they have, the mites or something, sure. like, 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 like can be kept out of our precious White House grass and fauna, they take it and they put it into a, uh, or flora, they, they take it and they, and they put it into a, some sort of holding uh area in Maryland for like two months just to just check to it acclimate out. acclimate it, make sure it's okay. Just to check it out. Right. So for me, my immediate thought was I got to find out who has to watch that tree. And I, <laughs> and I got to go meet that person. Like, who's that guy? Who's a tree checker? That's, I want that job. It sounds like a Coen Brothers character or something. Totally. Like, like, that's, like that's what it is. Like you're doing that. Okay. So you talked about that, but did you, have you guys all, I mean, I, I heard some, most of the show on the way in and the, the, the few minutes that I missed, but Rudy, right? Uh, we, do we have that Rudy? Have we, uh, yeah, have, I've, got, I've got lots of Rudy. I'm going to have to walk, uh, so let's, walk through let's, some of that. Let's catch the audience up to where we are, okay? Because what happened last night, This last night was one of those news alert nights. Like, we have these every now and then. They've actually been a little bit fewer lately. Uh, the White House doesn't do a lot of news in the middle of the night like they used to do. Um, generally, it's more, more the end of the news day as we get news, like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. But this is like I'm sitting around in my house, in my apartment that's too far away to get here on time, and I'm sitting in my apartment, and I'm, I'm watching, um, I don't know, something else. I'm watching probably The Americans or something, and my news alerts start going off because on Sean Hannity's show, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, who is also obviously a huge uh, booster of President Trump's campaign, who has now joined uh, Trump's legal team as sort of like the, the, his goal when he joined Trump's legal team, the way it was reported, he joined Trump's legal team specifically to sort of like handle some of the communication end of it, like talking about it, uh, working with uh, the Mueller investigators. He's a foreign federal prosecutor. So the idea was he's going to be able to talk to everybody really well and open some lines of communication up. So he goes on Hannity to open line of communication up and... Um, it, it was immediately news alert worthy. So I don't know if we do we have it. Yeah, let me play this. This is the the news alert worthy part of the of the interview where he talks about the payment that Michael Cohen made to Stormy Daniels and whether or not Donald Trump knew and all of that. So that's right. the The important backstory is so the just to make sure everybody knows, Michael Cohen pays Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford, one hundred thirty thousand dollars to uh, not talk about. Uh, the affair that she alleges that she had with President Trump at that time, not President Trump. And this whole time, 
the idea was that Cohen's like, hey, I did it on my own money. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lawyer. I cut a check. Yeah. Trump knew nothing about it. Then Rudy goes on Hannity. Yeah. And here's what he said. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So, so they, they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Hannity. Oh, I didn't know he did. Yeah. Best part of the whole Hannity. interview. Oh, oh. Best part oh. of the whole interview right oh, I didn't there. Know Sean that. Hannity. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the new Hannity ringtone. My old one was Hannity being Hannity making fun of Bill Press, the host yeah, of this show, right. for saying something about the American flag. Yeah. You don't oh. want to hear the national anthem? <laughs> anyway, so oh. that is that, folks, that O. That's what we call in the business a bombshell. That's what it sounds like. Because now we know, according to Rudy Giuliani, now obviously the day is unfolding here now, okay? The White House has not responded to this yet. We're going to have a briefing today. We're going to hear from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We're going to hear from everybody else at the White House. Um, Hogan Gidley, who is a White House spokesperson, was actually on Fox an hour after this and said, I have no comment to talk to the lawyers. But we haven't heard anything from any. So right now what stands basically is what Rudy Giuliani said. What Rudy Giuliani said essentially is that when the president said, I knew nothing about this, that was not true. That basically the broad contours of or whatever uh, – uh, uh, Rudy says he says like the you know he, he knew about the arrangement but he, he didn't he didn't know the details that whole thing is actually a huge shift that's a huge shift away from what we heard before which is that the narrative was basically that Cohen sort of handled this all on his own you know because Trump is like yeah I kind of knew who Story Daniels was but I had nothing to do with her um, then Cohen does this thing and I don't know anything about that well it turns out according to Rudy, Rudy that he does. Which is, a, which is a huge deal. I mean, I'm telling you, my phone, like, everybody got a piece of this. I mean, good old NPR, which brings us, it brings us alerts in about an hour after everybody else's. They came clean up like, hey, by the way, if you haven't seen the other 50 alerts, <laughs> we got this. <laughs> they can send theirs in. Uh, so, I had, so I always know when it's huge news if I get the NPR alert because they are very stingy with the alerts. And when they do them... They bring them in their own pace. They're nice artisanal yeah. <laughs> when they finish making them. So you get the CNN, bespoke, bang, your phone goes alerts. nuts. Phone goes nuts. Washington Post, bang, CNN, AP, Politico, bang, 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 bang. And then 45 minutes later, NPR, Stormy Daniels. So anyway, the point is it's an NPR alert day. It's yeah. a big day. It's that kind of day. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this yet. We don't know what any of this means yet in terms of the long run. But it is a, a wonderful uh, example of sort of setting this – the conversation that we're having in Washington now, which is, you know, we have been trying to have conversations about very complicated, very well orchestrated investigations by really well trained investigators like Robert Mueller and, and 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 guys in Congress who, you know, say what you want about the House Investigative Committee, the House Intelligence Committee. You know, there, there's a lot of really good people on that committee that know that know what they're doing about investigating and the Senate committee, too. And all the people are investigating this very serious, complex, convoluted effort by Russia to uh, influence our election and, and how does it work and what does it had and, and where was it? We're talking about international kind of like, you know, mi- mysteries tour, you know, go to Paris, go to London, go to Moscow, find this stuff out. And then what happens is a huge wrecking ball comes swinging in that is just like a woman who makes adult films. 
that uh, says she smacked Trump on the butt with a magazine once. And now that's what we're talking about all the time. Again, and this is exactly how this ha- th- that this has gone, that there was one conversation about this president and about investigations into this president, and then there was Stormy Daniels. And Stormy Daniels just continues to erupt, essentially. And this is another one of those moments where the president has a lot of problems uh, in terms of investigations and facing down stuff. I mean, we saw yesterday completely reworking his legal team in a way that suggested they were more nervous about impeachment than they were before, uh, more nervous about this investigation than they were before, going to take a new, you know, about the Mueller investigation. And then we get the Stormy Daniels news that blows all that off the map. So it's very interesting. It's just just an interesting, interesting time when you think about this president and what he's having to deal with and what we're all having to deal with having to watch it, which is that we have to wait for a... uh, Slow plotting former FBI director with a staff of incredibly uh, educated, like brilliant investigative lawyers to finish their giant report on Russia. And then we just have Rudy going on Hannity being like, oh, yeah, that uh, porn star thing. Eh, We didn't really say the truth about that. So that's, you know, that's different. Well, let me let me ask you this because I was Ray and I were talking about this earlier, right? Like, it's very clear now, just if you take their words. At face value, what Donald Trump said and what Rudy Giuliani said, if you take those words at face value, they lied. Donald Trump lied, right? But, but and I'm not, my point is that that's not illegal. The whole campaign stuff, that's illegal. Yeah, like I the mean, campaign cash stuff that could very well be a real problem. Yeah, I mean, but look, Rudy's defenses, saying it's his personal money. That's not. A, we don't know that. We don't know that. Don't know that, that that's works. true. Right. 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 But like, if they're if 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 essentially their story is now, oh, the president misspoke. To, to be generous, right? Like he misspoke or he lied about it or whatever. You, that's not a crime. But I will say I want to play a couple of other audio clips because after after Hannity, uh, Laura Ingram was on. And oh, she, great! And she basically just said that the president really does have a problem here. They have the president on tape on Air Force One saying he did not know about the payment. And you'll have to ask Michael Cohen about that. Rudy just goes on with Hannity and says, oh, no, he, he reimbursed him. Like, well, what? First of all, they may not have thought this whole thing through. <laughs> well, I mean, if you go on Hannity, to, you better think it through as the, the attorney of the they, president. The I don't think Emmett Flood would, would probably. That's why Emmett Flood's probably not going to do a lot of interviews. I love Rudy, but they, they better have an explanation for that. That's a, that's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Damn. That's she a hogged problem. Him. According she, to, yeah, totally. She, totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's she turned she turned the beams on Rudy. And so and so then on CNN right after the interview they had Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels uh, oh, great. Yeah. attorney mm-hmm. and he he took it a step further. He said this could very well be the end of Trump's presidency. Well, I I think that this shows that the president has significant potential criminal liability for felonies associated with campaign finance violations, as well as potential money laundering violations, as well as potential fraud violations relating to these these law firm invoices that we've now heard about. I mean, this this opens the Pandora's box, if you will, into serious, serious issues for Donald Trump. I said it weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. No way know how he will be forced to ultimately resign. This is a bombshell. Well, that's that's uh, Michael Avenatti. But I mean, this is the point that I'm making. I mean, I, it's interesting because now you have the whole now you have the full picture. I mean, we were kind of kind of rambling there about it, but it is fascinating that we have this idea that this Mueller investigation, these congressional investigations into very serious things like meddling in our elections. 
that what ends up happening and continues to happen is that this Stormy Daniel situation just continues to take over the take take over the universe. And you can see, you know, we know how this goes. That like by the end of the day today, there'll be a different line from people like Ingram about it probably. But you know, this is how big a deal this was. This this landed and everybody is trying to is trying to scramble to figure out what the heck they're supposed to say about it. And this is exactly what is so fascinating to me is that, you know, this is this is what the I don't know, it's just like Peter, don't you think it's weird that like a, that like we're having that that, that this that this this uh, adult film actor sta- scandal is the one that is the one that dominates all these headlines, and we're talking about uh, Russia um, meddling in our elections? I mean, like this is wild to me. Oh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, the it's, nuts. it's it's nuts. It's completely insane. And also, it's like it it it's funny how the Stormy Daniels thing has actually stuck. Yep. Because we move on so quickly from so many of these different things, right? Whether it's the Donald Trump with the fake news and dishonest media awards, right? Like, that was a whole buildup that right. really went nowhere, and then we just moved on. That's right. Or whether it was t- – take your pick, right? There have been all kinds of things. Well, we had the doctor thing yesterday. which the I was doctor thing. I was hoping to talk about the doctor thing today, but the we're not gonna talk, we can't even talk about the doctor thing now. Yeah. Trump's – It's Trump's, totally gone. Trump's, Trump's wild-looking doctor. Yeah. Is Dr. now v- mad at Trump and Dr. now Vinny Boombots. Exactly, it, Trump's Trump's uh, Dr. Nick Riviera yeah. is like uh, is upset at Trump now about the uh, about about the way he handled his medical records and, and says that that that, that wild letter that uh, the, that this doctor put out about Trump being the healthiest man to ever run for president ever was dictated by Trump. We're not going to come back to that story. We're not going to come back like, to we've it. We've moved on. That's from that it, story. folks. Right. If you if you weren't listening at seven nineteen whatever, you're not going to get it again. Yeah, it's done. Now oh. I will say this. Just so you understand how big a deal this is, WashingtonPost.com, first two top stories now. Number one is just a transcript of the Rudy Giuliani interview. And then number two is um, Trump repaying the Stormy Daniels money doesn't mean there were no campaign finance violations. Well. Oh. 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 (laughs) Oh. 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 Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, this is... This this uh, so if if you don't like the Stormy Daniel story, sorry about it, folks, because you're going to get it for the rest of the week. If but not it's, more. you know, as we've talked about a couple of times on the show, like it started out as sort of a salacious story that I think grabbed some headlines because people thought it was you know breaking news, sex sells, right? But the more the the, the story progressed and the farther along down the road we got, you've got. Michael Cohen says he paid and didn't tell Trump, and Trump had no knowledge of it. Donald Trump coming out and saying, oh, Michael Cohen did this on his own. He's my lawyer. You're going to have to talk to him about it. Then you've got Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, not clarifying if Michael Cohen was still Donald Trump's attorney. Then you have the Cohen raid. Then you have the Stormy Daniels uh, saying that that there was someone that uh, tried to intimidate her in a parking lot, and it just— Every single week, there's been another development in this story, and it's really not just a sex scandal story, right? Like there are some people that want to brush. No, of course it aside. not. No. But some people want to brush it aside and just say like, "Oh, this is just you know, good for headlines or whatever." But like, there there's a real issue here. No, in fact, the sex scandal part is the part where it becomes sort of the least difficult story to understand because right. because because it begins, of course, with a person um, willing to take money to talk about an affair she had with somebody, right? So that's a different type of scenario. the 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 story about the about intimidation and about um, and these payments and all this, and all this other stuff, and then that, now this you know 
tangentially, the National Enquirer is being a arm of the sort of like uh, uh, Trump silencing engine. Like all that stuff is what's a big deal. Um, and it just continues to keep, and that's that stuff that keeps coming out. Like I think Anderson Cooper's in, uh, interview with Stormy Daniels is all the sort of salaciousness you're going to get. But after that, you get uh, the unending sort of like stream of um, of uh, just details about these payments and all that sort of stuff. I see that also the Washington Post is an interview with Giuliani that went up at 3.30, 3.13 a.m., which I guess came after all of this, where he is uh, he's saying that, um, yeah, he's doubling down on it. He, he had an interview with Robert Costa, R- Rudy Giuliani did, and he comes on and he says... Um, uh, he was paid by Trump's personal funds, paid out of personal funds, which, you know, covered that possibly a few other things that, you know, would be considered incidental. It's not the kind of money you'd have to think of as a settlement or some substantial case. It'd be more of the kind of money that you would think uh, to be used to pay for a harassment case, which is the way they always thought of this. They never thought of it as true. I don't think it's true. I'm absolutely positive it's not true. So. Man, what a. Paid him, connect him. Yeah. What a just complete jumble. Well, Michael Cohen being raided, I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that leads people to sort of start cha- changing the way they talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Because they really got all point. this stuff. So, yeah. I mean, now we and know And we know that, that the raid part of it was directly tied to the Stormy Daniels stuff. That's right. So. That's right. Yeah, they can't just, I mean, you know, Time Magazine has a really interesting story today about how, like, the rise of the strong man. Yep. And, and and I think Donald Trump sort of embodies that more than any other politician in the world. And you, you just sort of, like, pound your way through. Like, just keep going. Lie, mislead, however you want to put it, right? Like, just power through it and get on to the next thing. And who cares? Like, you'll move on really quickly, then who cares? But this, I think, once you start talking about a raid on one of your very close associates' office, then you realize... Maybe you can't just BS your way through it. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I also think that basically you have a situation with this story that this is a story that it just captures the attention in a way that's very like I personally am fascinated by the Russia thing and a lot of the details of the Russia thing really get to me. But Stormy's appearance on 60 Minutes was like the highest rate episode of that show in a long time. So high that there was like spin about how there was because there was a, a Duke game before it or whatever that people watched it. So, I mean, people are paying a lot of attention to this story. So that's 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 really the issue. Yeah. The issue is that like you can try, you know, there was a previous life for Donald Trump before he was the president of the United States that like was well, I mean, I think well reported during the campaign. People knew what kind of person he was. They knew the backstory that he had. Some some people liked it. Some people liked his kind of um, you know, New Yorky kind of stereotypical type of uh, I don't know, like Sopranos-y kind of life that he had. People kind of liked it. Some people didn't like it. Um, but I think it plays just much differently when you're president. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's I think it. That's a really, really, really good point. And I know plenty of people who voted for Donald Trump who afterwards, you know, uh, six months in just said, you know what? We kind of saw him as a character and we assumed that the office would sort of influence him and it would direct him to actually take it seriously. And now we're, it's clear that it's not. Well, we're not even having that conversation when it comes to this Stormy Daniels thing. No. We're talking about the old, like, pre- like reality TV show star, right, right, Donald right. Trump. We're not even talking about any of the sort of, like, we're talking about can that, does that old stuff come up to, you know, come back to haunt you eventually? Yeah. And it seems like this sort of 
lifestyle, which I think would have surprised nobody. This uh, this Stormy Daniels story would have surprised nobody in 2014 about Donald Trump. No, and but now uh, as President Trump, it's one that gets people a lot of attention. They people people pay a lot of attention to it, and that causes him problems, especially when you know you got guys like Rudy going on Hannity. Oh, oh. my phone just went. God. I'm really professional radio professional today. You're nailing it. I'm nailing it. You're doing a great job. All right. Job. So who else we got? What else we got? We got some other news. Yeah. Oh, I, I do want to play because, you know, Ty Cobb yes. uh, hung up his cleats and is not going to be representing the president That's anymore. Correct. Uh, he actually spoke on the ABC News Political Powerhouse podcast. Uh, and he said, he's, this is where he sort of makes the announcement. I'm, I'm stepping aside. I've been working with the personnel people here and. In discussions with uh, the leadership, uh, meaning the president and Chief Kelly, for several weeks on a uh, retirement date, and uh, uh, we finally settled on uh, uh, the end of this month. But one of the interesting things that he said on this podcast, uh, and and I hope you all forgive the audio quality because apparently he's calling on some he's calling on a fax machine. <laughs> you know, uh, Ty Cobb is sort of a. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, if people have seen him, he's like a very, he's like a sort of, he's an esoteric type throwback gentleman. I'm sure yeah. he has like an old <laughs> bag phone just for effect. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about uh, yesterday and earlier in the week was this list of questions that Robert Mueller had for Donald Trump that was leaked out. And everybody said this clearly didn't come from the Mueller campaign or the Mueller team, that this came from somebody within the Trump White House because it was not written in legalese it was obviously shorthand notes of these questions so he was asked who leaked that list it's very difficult to see who if anybody benefits from the leak of that uh, other than people who have been trying to sabotage the uh, possibility of an interview and uh, or generate chaos around here yeah generate chaos around here yeah sabotage possible this is, and that is talking about the Mueller thing which is the other thing which is even bigger deal than yeah. this than the stormy thing yeah Totally separate deal. I mean, that Trump legal team stuff is is, is quite fascinating. When we have um, Rosie in here, Rosie Gray's coming up on the show, and when she comes from the Atlantic, and she's like really smart about all this stuff and has been following all this stuff for a long time, and when she comes in, we'll talk a bit more about what some of that stuff has meant. But um, yeah, the, that interview is another one of these things where like, here's this guy, like he's like, oh yeah, I don't know, somebody leaked it, you know, and they leak this thing and. And and they just they're just trying to sow chaos or sabotage a, an, an interview with the president or I, don't know. I mean you you get a sense from some of these lawyers that quit or uh, or have said no that they just this is sort of like the most relieving day of their life like when they don't take the job or they get to leave the job of doing this totally job, this legal team but also you know it, it we've talked about this many times I, I made a joke a couple of like probably uh, over a month ago now where I just said like what lawyer is not going to work for Donald Trump, right? Because they're lawyers. They, 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 they'll work for and, and, like, now we're having a real situation where there are lawyers that don't want to work with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And we had a lawyer in here who was like, that is the biggest and best thing that you can do as a lawyer is to represent the president of the United States. Sure. <laughs> and these lawyers, they, they, they're not sticking around. For well, whatever reason, either Trump doesn't like them or he's too much of a pain in the ass, whatever it is. Right. I mean, look, we did a story of this for Vice about um, – what happens in a White House when people have to get lawyers? Because, you know, this happened in the Clinton White House back when he was doing all the impeachment stuff was happening there. All these staff had to get lawyers. All these lawyers had to come into, you know, the, the thing where the lawyers had lawyers. All that stuff happened in the 90s, and people had to come in and get these lawyers. And, you know, 
I talked to a guy about what it's uh, one of these one of these lawyers. There was a, a very prominent lawyer on the impeachment issue, like uh, in during that era. This guy named Stan Brand, and he was talking about what it's like when you have one of these lawyers. And he's like, "Look, you have two kinds of clients. You have the clients who actually like like they want to listen to you, and what you tell them to do is not say anything, not respond to anything." If it's not a legal thing or not in a courtroom or not a court document, like, don't bother with it. And then the client oftentimes has this feeling inside themselves that they have to push back on the media, that they have to push back on rumor, they have to push back on all this stuff that puts the lawyers in a real bind because you don't want your client out there sort of popping off and saying stuff. Um, and that that has stuck with me. That wasn't about Trump specifically. It wasn't about the Trump White House even. It was about Simply the idea of representing a public official under an intense spotlight and what that's like to do. And I keep thinking about that all the time because when we see these things happen, these lawyers come and go, like Rudy going out there and talking, some of the conversations that we see, uh, you know, the tweets that we see from the president and some things that he says. um, I just think of Stan Brand sweating, you know, as a lawyer. Uh, That is tough stuff for them because they... You know, they want to be extremely careful with language. I mean, that's rightly or wrongly. That's why people hate lawyers, right? Because they're extremely careful with with language. And when you hire them for this high-profile gig, it is an important job. It is like the top lawyering that you can do, right? It's like, I mean, it's President of the United States, serious, high-level stuff. Everybody's watching it. Everybody's paying attention to it. Um, You want to be able to do your job. Yeah. And so what Stan would tell what Stan Brand would tell me uh, about this idea of doing this in an environment like this is that when people are not letting them do their job, it becomes extremely unfun. That makes sense, right? Yeah, I get that because then all of a sudden you're doing all this high profile work with the spotlight on you. All other lawyers are watching the lawyering that you're doing, and you're being kind of like sabotaged all the time. By the way, uh, on your point, uh, uh, like when we look at the back of the, the Clinton impeachment stuff, so. Uh, Ty Cobb seemed to sort of uh, confirm that Donald Trump is bringing on Emmett Flood, who represented Bill Clinton during his impeachment trial, yep. on that same political powerhouse podcast at ABC. Here he is. I haven't had uh, any, any discussions with Emmett. He's a very highly regarded uh, uh, lawyer. Um, uh, I assume his portfolio will be somewhat broader than mine. <laughs> with his ringtone going on. <laughs> somewhat bro- Hey, ringtone going off on air. <laughs> that is a Washington tradition, <laughs> exactly. folks. All right, everybody. Well, listen, we have caught you up on the big stuff of the day, okay? I've given you all the news alerts. You've, you've heard about uh, Rudy Giuliani. You've heard about the change in the lawyers. We've got a huge show coming up today. Now that I, we're all getting rolling here now, we got a huge show coming up today. Rosie Gray, Emily Atkin, Ben Terrace. It's going to be a really great Bill Press show. Stick with us. Take the Bill Press show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Good morning, everybody. It's the Bill Press show. I am Evan McMorris Santoro from Vice News. Actually had his uh, broadcast debut ever on the Bill Press show. First media hit I ever did. Was here at the Bill Press Show, the other studio, old tables. But, you know, sometimes Bill leaves town or Bill doesn't come in and he lets me muck around with his show, which is great. It's really fun. It's really nice thing to do, especially after all these years of doing the show. Um, I love Bill. I love the show here. Um, So, look, we were talking before uh, the break about sort of all this stuff that was going on, sort of very beltway stuff, you know, the lawyers and the the, the legal investigations and all. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to sort of wind ourselves out of the city and into the world where a lot of other news is happening. 
So the first thing we're going to do, I'm literally going to do this geographically, okay? Because we do start because because we were just at the White House where the investigation is happening, right? A couple blocks from the White House is the State Department, and the State Department had some big news this week. We got a new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Peter, what we got from him? As I've said, and I'll elaborate more. I want the State Department to get its swagger back. Get its swagger back. Hell so, yeah. folks. That big, we're going to be walking softly and carrying a big stick. We're coming back, coming back in. Now, this is actually quite fascinating because when you think about the Tillerson era at the State Department, which was initially lauded by a lot of conservatives as being a great idea, this was an era in which Tillerson was sort of an anti-State Department Secretary of State. He wanted to close people, close jobs down, uh, close down, sort of like, uh, you know, shrink the department, shrink the amount of people who worked there eliminate jobs, eliminate this stuff. Pompeo seems to be very interested and excited about being Secretary of State in a different type of way. In fact, when he was being sworn in, in this massive swearing-in ceremony, we don't usually see, like, 11 cabinet officials, the president, all this stuff. And he talks a lot about this idea that he's going to just kind of bring back a a, a different vision of the State Department that we haven't seen before. So that's item number one. Now, from the State Department... We're going to move down the street. Okay, we're getting farther away from the White House now. We're going to move down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Justice Department, where Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General, and he was talking about something that's happening thousands of miles away. People are not going to caravan or otherwise stampede our border. We need legality and integrity in the system. People should uh, wait their turn, uh, ask uh, to apply lawfully before they enter our country. So that's Jeff Sessions talking about the much vaunted caravan of uh, undocumented immigrants who are trying to come to the United States to seek asylum. Uh, this has been not only like Fox and Friends' favorite topic, but also a favorite topic of our president and also of, of our secret of our attorney general saying that we're not going to uh, allow this to happen. So, um, all right. Well, so I have one more to get to before we. I, I, I had built a whole bit here. Rosie's here now. But I had a whole bit I got to finish up. Then we're going to talk to Rosie really commit quick. Commit to the bit. So, okay, we're, we're, committed, we're committed to the bit. So, all right. So, the, okay, so we just did that. So now we've actually moved from the White House out of the, out of the city down to the Mexican border. We're going to go right up from the Mexican border right into Arizona where teachers are still on strike. I could be home, but I'm not. <laughs> I'd much rather be in my cozy bed ready for school tomorrow morning, but I'm here. And I will be until... This is over. That's Natalie Schuler, a teacher in Arizona who is on strike, and a surprisingly good rendition of the White Stripes by a marching band yeah, in the solid, background. Pretty solid marching band. So, rendition. if you're in Arizona right now, you're not in school, but you can really catch some sweet, <laughs> sweet uh, White Stripes covers. I don't know why I just picture Seymour Skinner like at this event, like demanding the band play something that the kids will love. <laughs> A big rock hit from seven years ago. My thing is, like, I don't think you should be able to play the White Stripes while wearing, like, those hats and things. <laughs> right, right. That's the thing about this. Anyway, all right. So that's that's letting you know that, like, this is not going to be a show just about Rudy Giuliani and Sean Hannity. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about. And the country is having a lot of we're having a lot of conversation in this country about a lot of things. Immigration is still happening, a very huge part of this conversation. That's what Jeff Sessions was talking about. Um, this teacher strike is a part of a national movement to try and change the way we think about education in this country, and that's happening everywhere, including states like Arizona, very conservative states like Arizona. 
And obviously, you know, foreign policy is a huge deal right now, and we've made a big changes in that and the way our country deals with that this very week. So I just wanted to let sure you guys at home knew that we are paying attention to everything else and not just the things that happened on Fox News uh, last night at 9 o'clock. But moving on from that, Rosie Gray from The Atlantic is here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Did good. you say that it's not going to be a show about Rudy Giuliani? Well, no, Rudy? actually, we okay. Well, we do we do have the clip. We'll, we will play the clip again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, that's not what I signed up for. So. No. Uh, it is, so is this crazy? Like this was like this. This was so Rosie Gray. You work at the Atlantic. I do. You cover a bunch of different stuff at the Atlantic, but you also you you cover like a lot of the the Trump world type of stuff. You cover um, a lot of the alt right type of stuff. You cover. You guys, you've done a lot of foreign stuff before as well. You're like perfect person for her to have on a day like today. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so, give me your take, because like I will. We're going to have to go back to Rudy and Sean Hannity a little bit. Can we get the? Can, can I get a? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, can let, I get you, a no? You, you, you want to play, you you play the whole clip or just the best part of it? Because just Sean, give me the best part of it again. Yeah. Sean Hannity's reaction to Rudy's comments was just <laughs> yeah. oh. oh. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. So we've been playing that all day, yeah. which is which is that that's Hannity. It's like as Rudy says, oh, you know, uh, yeah, we paid for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Trump knew about it. He goes, oh. Yeah, they don't teach you that in broadcasting school, right? Like when you are given a big piece of news, you react immediately by just looking with a blank face at the camera and just saying, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how that works. That's all right. how that works. So Rosie, what is your take on what the, on what this happened last so on what happened last night? Because we 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 played Laura Ingram being like, "This is really bad. This is really bad. I don't know what's happening. Trump is now. This is now. You're saying the Trump lied on a plane when he said that he didn't uh, know about this payment. Now he does. What's happening? Like, what's going on? Well, it seems like, I mean, the the widely held interpretation is that Rudy messed up, right? And then like immediately did damage control right afterwards by calling a bunch of reporters and saying that it had been planned with Trump in advance because they were going to plan to say his story is that they were planning to say that it was not a campaign finance violation. And so they planned this reveal in advance. So this was the so so this was the the post Hannity thing was Rudy getting on the phone with a bunch of people and saying that this was not actually a weird thing. Yeah, like thing. Bob Costa from the Washington planned. Post was tweeting last night that he'd talked to Rudy and that Rudy had said, oh, don't worry, like, this was, I'm not going to get fired. This was planned out. We planned to do this. And, so, well, I mean, look, it does make sense. But that, the thing is, the president <laughs> said himself that he didn't know about it. So it directly contradicts. It doesn't matter if the, the like, I almost feel like, the, I mean, the campaign finance thing is at this point. Right. Yeah, Almost no, a side issue. Right, like, that's not the issue. The issue is now we can ask the president many, many questions about Stormy Daniels because now he knew about it. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to before when he didn't know about it. Right. I mean, he said that he didn't know about the, I mean, you know, and Rudy, when you watch the clip and he's saying, oh, yeah, he knew about it. Well, he didn't know the specifics. He knew in general. You can almost see, I think, that he may have realized on some level what he was saying. That he was doing this. That's and that's why that's why Hannity's sort of like waving the flag of like really because I heard it was this other thing. <laughs> yeah, aren't you, are you sure? <laughs> um, can you just briefly because one thing that you know a lot about is that like can you, can you give us a picture of like where Rudy Giuliani is in this sort of like Trump world? Do you can you do do you have a good handle on that? I mean, he's another one of those guys who you know before Trump ran for president had kind of you know, had kind of gone off into the mists of time. You know, he was not, like, a relevant, that much of a relevant figure before Trump made him relevant again, right? You know, Newt Gingrich is, like, another example of somebody like that. 
Um, and, you know, Giuliani, he's he's been sort of like at the margins of this uh, of this Mueller story, basically commenting sort of from afar. But now he's been brought in to actually be Trump's lawyer. But he's kind of also sort of like a real true believer. Right. Like even guys like Gingrich have, have, have at times said, I don't know what I don't know about this thing that Trump's done. I don't know about that thing that Trump's done. But Rudy's sort of like on board. Well, right? Giuliani's one of these New York guys who's known Trump for a really long time. Right. And so he's sort of like, I mean, the president bringing someone like him into the legal team is uh, giving someone that the president definitely trusts pretty much and knows pretty well into the inner orbit of this thing. Right. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's 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 familiar territory for Trump. Like, it's it's he feels comfortable, you know. So it's not impossible to believe the an idea that, like, maybe he was supposed to say that on Hannity. Because, I mean, if you you assume Trump and Rudy would have talked, right? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Oh. I, 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 I don't know what the real truth is there. Of course, or, yeah. Or if we're ever going to know it. So Right, 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 right. So what's the fallout now? So what happens now, do you think, after this? So now this has happened. Rudy's on his round of phone calls saying, I'm not going to – I didn't screw up here. I did the exact right thing. Um, we also saw, like I was saying I was saying earlier, we saw Hogan Gidley was on – uh, the White House uh, press secretary, like sort of below, not press secretary, the deputy press secretary, um, was on Fox uh, like an hour after Rudy and just sort of like decided to punt on this whole thing. He was like, look, I don't you have to talk to lawyers. I don't know anything about this. This is legal case stuff. This is lawyer stuff. This is not White House stuff. Um, do you think that that line's going to work out for the White House today? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think I assume that the press briefing will be full of questions about this. I agree with that. So they're going to have to eventually come up with something to say about it. You know, they can't keep referring to the president's outside counsel, who is Rudy Giuliani. Right. Yeah. Now it's actually Rudy. So, and Rudy's now actually talked. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, this opens up a lot of questions about, like, what he knew about the Stormy Daniels thing, what he may have known about other stuff that they said that he didn't know anything about. I mean, to me, it's funny because we now know so much more about the relationship between this president and Sean Hannity, this president and, you know, the how closely those two are aligned, how much they talk, how often they connect. And the idea of Rudy going on Sean Hannity's show is about like the idea if you're if you're a Trump supporter, the idea of Rudy Giuliani going on Sean Hannity's show Seems like the newslessest thing conceivable. <laughs> this is like people who like Trump on a show that loves Trump, right? At the same time, two people talking about Trump, two guys that they like, they both talk with you on the phone all the time, and yet somehow that moment has created a news thing that we're going to be talking about for probably days and days now. A lot of people were making the point, and I agree with this, that you know the most dangerous thing for somebody who's you know potentially going to make news when they go on TV. Is to be in a setting where they're with an interviewer that's like that they're too comfortable with that mm-hmm. you know that's going to give them a, too much of a softball interview where they just sort of I mean if you look at Rudy's body language in that interview he looks like he's in his living room right they, I thought the same thing Hannity said it's like you know he's got you know he's like this he's like that like it's just they're at like they're at, they're at like Morton Steakhouse Bar or something yeah like, I mean <laughs> just like it's, you could tell he's just fully like you know like it, it's like just chatting with a friend basically right. Right. Like, Sean, and that's dangerous because you. you're not being careful about what you're saying. Exactly. You did Hannity once, didn't you? I did do Hannity once. Well, how was it? It was fun. It was fun, right? You, yeah. I th- you, you did really we well were, on we it. We were debating the alt-right. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. He challenged you on Twitter. This is a, this is a complete awesome story. He, he's like, he's like, he challenges you. You said something. He challenges you on Twitter. You're like, yeah, I'll go on your show. And you went on. Yeah. And it was like, cool. He actually, I think he was kind of respectful to you. He got that a pretty good No, no. Run. He was respectful to me. Like, I, I think he, like... You know, it was not like it. 
I think he knew that the optics of like sort of like destroying young female BuzzFeed reporter at the time. <laughs> Was like maybe not, so um. But no, yeah, but he was perfectly. Him, he was totally nice and respectful to me. But also, yeah. but, but no, but you understood a lot about how the show works. You went on. You were like, you said to him right at the beginning. You were like, look, I know what you do here with this. Like, well, because he was like, he was like, okay, so you're a liberal. You're a liberal. And I was like, I don't talk. Like, I, I was like, I don't. I was like, I, I don't, I don't talk about my politics. Right, but you don't. And actually, if anybody ever reads your work, like, you're just a good political reporter. Uh yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I have never been like a partisan. Right, reporter. So you know, what's funny is that actually people uh, think that there's a lot more of that. I mean, this is like a whole tangent, but people think there's a lot more of that than there really is. Like most reporters are just people who want to like have really good stories. Like the that's agenda, my thing. the bias in in political reporting is towards like conflict. Basically. Yeah, click, 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 click. Right, tweet, like it's towards tweet me, drama. Please. The bias is towards drama. Yeah, that's it's not think... towards any side. Exactly. Well, that right. There's that. It's not towards any side really. And also, there's the thing where uh, the cynicism is so strong among are types that like generally it's like the idea of like caring about anyone <laughs> that yeah. it's like difficult to imagine anyways <clears throat> excuse me so what else are you working on these days what are you doing what are you into what's happening in the world of the atlantic and what you're covering and things um well i mean we're sort of covering what everybody else is covering i'm working on a couple longer things that i don't want to talk about right now fair enough but i want to talk to you about this idea because i feel like the intersection of sort of some of the foreign policy stuff that that the Trump world has been into and also some of this sort of uh, political alt-right world that has come around seems to be sort of like embodied in this Mike Pompeo situation where he's now at the State Department. Very, very conservative guy. We played the clip of him talking about bringing the swagger back to the State Department. You've done a little bit of work about the about foreign policy in this president. What do you think Pompeo's term is going to mean for our what's going to change? Now that he's a State Department. I mean, I think he's just going to be much more, you know, sort of visible than Rex Tillerson was. You know, Tillerson was this sort of, like, weird non-presence, in a way, at the State Department. You know, Pompeo is someone who's very ideological. Um, and I think that that's going to be sort of brought to bear on state. I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of, like, top positions at the State Department have still been sort of left unfilled, basically, this whole time. So that's going to be something that's, like, going to be a challenge for him, Uh you know, do we have a sense at all whether or not? I mean, I don't know if you if we know this yet. Is he a kind of guy that wants to fill those, or does he want to stick with this Tillerson model of leaving a lot of these things unfilled? I mean, it felt like Tillerson wanted to like literally shrink the State Department down. Is that something that we Tillerson wanted to do agenda? this like reducing it by a certain percentage the workforce there? Right. Um, I don't know what thing? Pompeo's plan is for for staffing there. I think it'll be very interesting to see who he puts in certain positions. Um, I, you know, I wrote a story a couple weeks ago about how, like, the sort of Republican foreign policy establishment, which tends very to be very hawkish um, and includes, like, the sort of remnants of the neoconservative movement, they're, like, super excited about Pompeo and about John Bolton at the NSC because they see this as a return to, like, some level of, like, okay, we get this. We can deal with this. Some kind of, like, the neoconservative sort of Bush-era thinking about foreign policy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting about that, too, because the way that they rolled Pompeo out in the State Department with this massive swearing in ceremony and all the sort of like noise about it, it does suggest that there, you know, one thing that's also happened is, you know, this is a president who said, um, look, Secretary of State, sure, but like I do all the deciding about everything. I'm the I'm the secretary of everything is what he's kind of said before. But he seems to talk about Pompeo in a different way that he sort of likes him and I think wants him to have uh, an outsized role in this administration, it seems like now. 
Yeah, but in the same, I think in the same speech, he said something like, oh, he's getting a lot of publicity, isn't he? Or something, which is like always like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Bodes ill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're more famous than I am, he told Comey. <laughs> Before, whatever, that, the handshake and kiss. Um, well, so, and I also want to talk to you about something else that you work on and that, and that, you, and that you're, you talk about. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like public knowledge you're doing this book about the alt-right kind of in a way. And I want to ask you a bit about where uh, those folks are now in the world. Like, I think that, like, with the Stormy Daniels news we hear about, with the kind of, you know, the talk we're talking about, a lot of, like, actual presidenting is going on now. A lot of actual sort of policy stuff is happening now in the city. We don't hear about them as much. And I wonder if you can sort of give us just kind of like a brief um, checkup on, like, where that movement is these days. Yeah, well, the book is is not going to be about the alt-right per se. It's not going to be about, like, Richard Spencer, really. Got it. Um, It's about... Breitbart news and sort of like the Breitbart movement, kind of like the the beginnings of the Trump movement, really. Okay. Um, I mean, in terms of of Breitbart itself, yeah. Um, I think that it's fair to say that it's it's declined over the past you know few months or so. They obviously had a huge amount of drama when Steve Bannon, um, you know, publicly broke with the president and then uh, was fired from Breitbart and has kind of like disappeared into the political wilderness. Uh, yeah, isn't that weird? Like how off the grid he is. Like I, I think people didn't think he was going to get that off the grid, but he's, he seems to be very sort of off the grid now, right? Yeah, I mean he's he's yeah yeah it is he he just totally. I mean, one thing that really shows you is like the power of Donald Trump within like on the right these days. I mean, like the minute you get cross eyes with him, you're out. Like yeah. totally like persona non grata. Um, so I think that I think that Bannon, you know overestimated how much sway he had with the base versus Trump. Um, So that's been, so I think that's really affected Breitbart a lot. I think that, you know, whatever you might think of Steve Bannon under him, they at least had like, there was some energy at Breitbart and like a sort of point of view and like, and now, you know, a Bannon-less Breitbart, what is it exactly? I mean, I I don't think they really answered that question. As far as the alt-right goes, I mean, those guys have kind of splintered and morphed into various different things. You know, like in the beginning of the Trump administration, uh, that was when, you know, people like Mike Cernovich and Mm -hmm. uh, people like that who don't call themselves all right, but who call themselves like new right and stuff like that started to become important. Right. Um, And the dawn of this kind of, you know, like pro-Trump, but not necessarily like Fox News type pro-Trump. You know, live streamers and stuff yeah. like that. They're actually, sort of angry become... at Fox News sometimes, angry at other parts of the conservative media sometimes, right? These guys who are like, we're doing our own thing, right? We just love Trump a lot. Yeah, and so... and and a lot of it, you know, and there's a lot of crossover with like with like the sort of masculinist communities oh, yes. online and stuff like that. But so those guys, because we're in, I mean, it's only year two, right? We're, in, I mean, and that first year was marked by so much of that conversation about these folks, and now it's different. You, I mean, you mentioned this idea that what we have learned is that um, sort of the debate within the conservative movement about Trump appears to essentially be over, right? Like, if you cross Trump, you're basically out, right? I mean, we've seen that uh, in very—I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that there's nobody who's a conservative in this country who doesn't like Trump. There's plenty of them who are, but it just seems like sort of in the, in the sort of, like, um, mainstream, the sort of main ecosystem of conservatism, Trump is very highly regarded mostly these days, Um but we've seen these kind of things. What do you think the remnants are of that first year where we're sort of having this sort of, you know, this rise of Richard Spencer and fall of Richard Spencer, this Steve Bannon situation, and then he's sort of like maybe more out. These guys like Cernovich, 
What do you think are the remnants of those guys in where we are now? I mean, they don't get as much sort of news as they used to get, but is that because they're just kind of mainstream now? They're just kind of like in the general conversation now? They're not interesting anymore? Uh, Yeah, well... It's not that they, like, disappeared completely. It's mm-hmm. that, you know, for example, somebody like Richard Spencer became completely irrelevant because he's so extreme that he can't drum up any support. And the other guys, you know, they just kind of, like, became part of the sort of fabric of 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 politics these days, in right. a way. Do they just stitch themselves right on in? I mean, Cernovich was breaking actual news on the White House. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's Reggie Great. Reggie Great, thank you for coming in. This is uh, this is the Bill Press Show. I'm Evan McMari Santoro. We're back with a lot more stuff. Uh, And more of that Rudy clip, probably. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning, folks. It is hour two of The Bill Press Show. I am Evan McMorris-Santoro of Vice News, filling in for Bill. You can catch me uh, every night on HBO at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, If you don't have HBO, you should get it. If you don't want to get it, you can get a login from someone that you know. And you can log in and watch all the great stuff we do on Vice News tonight. Um, we had a, we just had a great first hour uh, involving all this Rudy Giuliani stuff that we're going to talk about more later, too. And we have a lot of great guests coming in this hour, um, including Emily Atkin, uh, talk about science and environment. For She's from the New Republic. And Ben Terrace, who is just, I think, one of the best writers covering Washington today. Uh, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so we've talked a couple of times about the romaine lettuce situation here in America because there is an E. coli outbreak. Well, I've got some sad news. The first person has been reported as dying from from getting E. coli from eating this contaminated romaine lettuce. Now, uh, they're still not totally sure where it's coming from. They felt like they had it narrowed down. Felt like Arizona, I thought. Yeah, to Arizona. But they still don't have a definite lockdown of what the problem is and where the problem came from. Uh, This death was reported in California, uh, but three new states have reported cases of illnesses leaked to this E. coli outbreak. Kentucky, Massachusetts, and Utah. So, it's again, this all comes back to romaine lettuce. Any romaine lettuce. Don't eat romaine lettuce. Any brand, any place that you're getting it, they're saying all of it could be contaminated. So really, you've got to be careful out there. So as a reporter who travels around a lot, I eat at a lot of sort of like places where 
uh, you know, like, uh, you know, airports and things where you don't think they're going to get like a lot of super great sourcing of their uh, of their not, of their not, not any farm to table cuisine. Not really. Yeah, um, but so what they're all going with now, they, there's, there's a lot of spring mix, they call it. Yeah, Romaine's yeah. out. Spring mix is in, yeah. folks. I'm a mixed green guy. I don't usually do the, the romaine lettuce. So I don't. But but the, just be careful if you're going to have any romaine lettuce. I never really thought of myself as a person who, had, who made a lot of lettuce choices. I just liked. <laughs> I got thoughts on lettuce. The best lettuce, of course, is iceberg. It's a bib lettuce. Bib lettuce. Bib lettuce is the best lettuce. Bib lettuce is the best lettuce. But I like how you were there with the answer. I mean, right away. Uh, if anybody's taking Amtrak between Philadelphia and Washington D.C., folks, you're going to have a little bit of a problem. A freight train derailed yesterday, so Amtrak has suspended service between Philadelphia and Washington. This happened yesterday after two freight cars overturned under state uh, under Interstate 95 in Pennsylvania. And uh, so they just had to shut it down. They have to clean up the mess. They have to fix the whole problem. And so everything is shut down. Trains. Trains. It's not not going so well these days. Not so well. But here's the thing. That D.C. to Philadelphia, it doesn't take that long. You can drive. You can drive that. It's really Uh, easy You can take a bus. I mean, I have flown it a couple of times, which is absurd. That's one of those things where you, you, they basically say, literally, they have a pre-recorded um, you know, uh, to prepare for flight, do this. Then you get up, and then you go to prepare for landing yeah, like immediately afterwards. It honestly would probably take shorter to drive to Philadelphia from D.C. than to fly. I don't know. Counting in, like, getting in early and all that crap. Well, they couldn't you know. go from the airport to where you want to go. I mean, the point is yeah. <laughs> the freight train. <laughs> there's a freight train in the way. You can't. All the people who are tuning in here for your traffic update, yeah. you cannot go from D.C. to Philadelphia very easily. Not right on now. Amtrak. Next. Oh. All right. So I love a Swedish meatball. Yeah. You ever had a Swedish meatball? They're fantastic. Of course, right? they're delicious. Well, it turns out the official Twitter account for Sweden had to come out and set the record straight. They are not Swedish meatballs. They actually come from Turkey. Not the animal turkey, the country turkey. They said, quote, Swedish meatballs are actually based on a recipe King Charles uh, twelfth brought home from Turkey in the early 18th century. Let's make sure we stick to the facts. So they are not, in fact, Swedish wow, meatballs. Wow, that's huge. They are Turkish. So all meatballs. Sweden has left now is Volvo and Ikea. That's it. That's it. That's it. Meatball ligandberries. Is that the other Lig- thing they have? berries. yeah, all absolutely. I mean, yeah. That, that's, that's a good berry, by the way. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning, everybody. Bill Press Show. Evan, Mc- oh, Evan McMorris Santoro. Guys, it is allergy season it in is, Washington. And is. I literally, I never used to have them, but now I'm like the king of allergies. I'm flow nased. I'm every kind of, I don't think I did it this morning. Maybe that's what it is. Anyway, the point is, congratulations for those of you who are listening on radio for the how well it will sound for you as I... Just deal with the pollen and the 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 noises and the, the just all the wonderful sounds. The other day, I was sitting at home, and I and I was sitting home by myself, and I was like, "What is that weird, weird sound? What is going on in my apartment? What's wrong with this? What's that weird sound? That sound, folks, my own breathing." There you go. That is allergy season. I'll, I'll give you a little tip. What I like to do during allergy season is I like to take. Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, Flonase, and just let them fight it out. You, do you put them all in there? I just let them go at it. 
That's, hello. By the way, don't do that. That's a joke. I don't, don't actually do that. I don't think you can do that. No, that's a, well. First of all, you can't you can't buy all those. You know, because you got to have because of the allergy medication they keep it behind the counter now. You can't just go. So I buy, buy all the generic whatever it is. So I just buy whatever the you know the store brand is sure. or whatever it is. So I I have one that you shoot up your nose right now. And I have one that's a small pill that's supposed to last for a long time. Then I have one that's supposed to make your sinuses feel better. There you go. Basically, at this point, I um, I mean, I'm so drugged up. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on all the same meds. <laughs> ah, Emily Atkin. Hey. <laughs> that was, um, that's what we've been playing all day. That's, uh... <laughs> Allergy roulette? No, no, that's surprise. <laughs> that's that's our clip of surprised um, surprise on Hannity. Oh, oh. Actually, last night as he was watching Rudy Giuliani say that President Trump uh, did actually know about the payments to. Stormy oh, Daniels. I didn't. I only heard about that on the radio. Was there a funny reaction from Hannity? That yeah. I so I Hannity is sort of like, uh, really? Because I heard he didn't <laughs> ever know, and he's like, no, no, he did. And then Hannity says, oh. Like that. Like, oh. Just I, total oh. shock. Like, oh, I, I, I guess we're changing that. Uh, Emily, how are you? I'm well. What medications are you on today? Um, <laughs> so I, I also have a Zyrtec, which is the normal pill. The Zyrtec. Yeah, the okay. the sort of normal all day thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Flonase, mm-hmm. the, the nasal spray, and the decongestant. Do you think it's possible? I, you know, so there's this thing that like happens like in the tech world, or all these tech guys are like, I don't want everyone to die. I just want to be like uploaded to the internet, and I don't ever like think. I always thought that was a stupid idea until I started getting allergies, and I was like, you know what? Just upload me to the internet now. Like just like literally, <laughs> get, if I could remove myself from this body and let somebody else have to deal with all this horrible. Well, I'm like prescribed these medications. I mean, the, you know, oh, you have an actual. This well, is no, like no, your no, use no. is very serious. They're over the. It's very serious. You have a prescription. My. Uh, my doctor, I went to go get antibiotics because I thought I had a cold, and they were just like, you need to take all the allergy medications. And it costs more than getting a prescription for antibiotics to get all these allergy medications. Every A box of them is like 20 bucks each, so you walk out of CVS paying like $65. It's very expensive. I've been trying to figure out some way to, to, to like I said, I buy all the, all the generics, which I just sort of, I don't know what's in there, but I just got whatever the thing is, and I yeah. snort it. I didn't do it today, so now I feel terrible. So. I got the one you have to ask for behind the counter because you can make meth out of it if you abuse it. Wait, that's the wait, good stuff. Wait, 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 wait. What's oh, that's that? The, thing, <laughs> the allergy medication. That's right. Like, if you, there's certain ones you got to actually, they, they'll have the display, right? And there's a little card. Yeah. It's like, if you want this, you're going to have to go ask. I had to give my ID. Yeah, you got to do the whole thing. Wait a minute. And. Like you, they keep track of <laughs> how much you buy, right? Like you mm-hmm. can't buy, like you know. 12 boxes. Oh, this of seems it. like it's okay. Well, look, there's a drugstore right near uh, Bill Press Radio Dome. Yeah. And I will be from here walking out there and I'll be doing that. I'll bring, be get, I'm going to get the behind the counter stuff. Bring your ID with you. Yeah, I'll bring, bring your ID, ID with you because they're going to check you out. And you also can't take it before you go to bed because it does have a bit of a stimulant effect. And also, hence you can't. The meth making. You can't look at that. <laughs> I, so I mean, you what's going on? You also, I don't know if you're going to be operating any heavy machinery today. <laughs> I but will that not would be, also be, be a bad idea. <laughs> no, this is the heaviest machinery I'm operating <laughs> today. And I'm operating it fantastically, <laughs> totally sober. So. Should we talk um, about the news? Sure. Fine. All right, Emily. Fine. Emily's oh, trying to wow. move us off. Emily doesn't want to talk about drugs wow. anymore. Oh. Yeah, oh, I thought oh. you were a science reporter. Oh. <laughs> talking about the science. All right, That's Emily. True. Okay, so listen, we've talked this morning a lot about um, uh, Rudy Giuliani, 
Stormy Daniels. We talked a little bit about uh, some foreign policy stuff, but you are here with a lot of news about like domestic stuff, environment stuff, what's going on. Tell me, just sort of give me a rundown of what 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 you've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. Well, it's been Scott Pruitt Palooza for me mm-hmm. recently, and as it has been, I guess for the last month, um, for the last day or two, I've sort of been burying my head in a completely unrelated story just to try and get out of it for a bit. But it, you know, the EPA keeps pulling me back in with uh, various scandals. The New York Times keeps doing amazing reporting on. Um, Scott Pruitt's connections to different lobbyists for different industries that the EPA works with and keeps revealing all this new scandalous information. It's like I I want it to stop so I can actually stop start reporting on the environment. So like actually covering the environment these days, it's, it's just, like being a political reporter with Trump, which is so much Pruitt news that you spend most of your time is obsessing with whatever Pruitt's doing. It's true. And I'm happy that I have a like a politics reporting background for it, thank God. Yeah. Because if if you came to this beat thinking that you were going to cover trees and pesticides, it's not happening. I mean, at this point, doesn't it just seem clear that Pruitt's just going to ride this out? I mean, I thought we had Absolutely. a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were into the the apartment that he got for no money and the you know the travel and the the phone booth and all that. That you know, this was sort of like. There's a classic sort of Washington build before somebody has to resign, mm-hmm. and it felt like that was on that track. But you, but it seems like at this point he's just kind of past it, or no? Number one, the classic Washington build is over. Okay. It doesn't happen anymore. I think that everybody that reports on any type of politics knows that now. Um, nothing goes the way it traditionally goes. Mm-hmm. Number two, I've been arguing this from the beginning, is that I don't think that Scott Pruitt is in any trouble with Trump until he's in trouble with Trump's base. And Trump's base still really likes Scott Pruitt after, you know, all the first sort of wave of scandals and the the lobbyist landlord with the condo and the spending, excessive spending on security and travel came out. Trump went to West Virginia and he did, you know, one of his weekend rallies there. And he comes back on the plane afterwards and he says, I just talked to everyone in West Virginia and they love Scott Pruitt. They've just been saying that they think he's doing such a great job. And so I I don't think that until Pruitt becomes a political liability for Trump that he's ever going to go anywhere. He still has the support of everyone that really matters, and that's the fossil fuel industry, the chemical industry, and the coal state voters in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. So he has the power that he has. What is he actually doing with it? Because we don't talk a lot about that. We talk mostly about the sort of perks that he's getting and sort of— allergies, potentially Mm -hmm. misusing some of that power um, that he's given uh, or or just, uh, you know, opportunities to have to have stuff as being a high, high, high level Washington official. What's he actually doing? I'd say he's doing two large overarching things. One is uh, dismantling and uh, changing the way that science can be used at the EPA to create and justify regulations. Um, And the other one is taking away regulations or weakening regulations or delaying regulations. So sort of weakening those regulations and then putting up barriers into creating new ones by changing the way that you're allowed to use science. So those are the that's the broad way to describe it. And what has the impact of that been in terms of like at this point are we seeing the the, the impacts of that on I don't know the way the government is reacting towards the towards the climate towards the environment? 
Um, not totally, because so for so many of the regulations that Scott Pruitt is trying to weaken, you know, he's trying to repeal the Clean Power Plan, uh, WOTUS, the Waters of the United States rule. That's a clean water uh, law that protects little streams and sort of little tributaries, puts those under federal protections. Those are all, and you know, there's methane regulations, so methane leaks from oil and gas. Most of those are in the process of being repealed. They're not repealed yet. Um, so a lot of industries aren't certain whether or not they have to comply or don't because mm-hmm. they're being cha- the process are being challenged in the court. And so, and so a lot of places are still, comp- a lot of industries are still complying with regulations, but some aren't. For methane, for example, um, Pruitt just put an indefinite delay on that regulation for like leak methane from oil and gas wells, right? So that means that they don't have to put up uh, mo- like monitoring, you know, companies don't have to put up monitoring uh, equipment and stuff like that. Okay. It's sort of there are there are little effects here and there, but you wouldn't you wouldn't feel them unless you lived next to an oil and gas well. You and I don't have to worry about that. We're you know affluent white people living in. Uh, an urban area, but mm-hmm. it would normally be. I mean, probably you know, low-income Latino farming families are probably feeling the effects of of some of this. So right now, it's a good it's it's a good time to be a lawyer because there's a lot of legal cases going on. Oh, yeah. But also there is. I mean, this is the thing about a guy like Scott Pruitt. Um, he has a lot of levers that he can move around and make things actually happen. Things are actually happening. You have a story here about uh, taking credit for Obama's work. Which is not what we would think with Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt taking credit for Obama's work is the headline, which I would not think of. I would think that whatever that Scott Pruitt's <laughs> main deal would be, like whatever Obama did, I'm going to undo. Yeah, you read the headline and you're like, are you sure, Emily? No, no, I was sure because I know it's you and you're a very good reporter. <laughs> but I was like, huh, I did not know that, Emily, is actually what I said. I was, I was, don't assign the skepticism to me just because I, I, I need some drugs. Right. Well, Scott <laughs> Scott Pruitt needs some he needs to prove that he's still protecting the environment while he does all these things to deregulate the environment, Got it. right? So he needs to be able to say, "Listen, I'm doing some things that are actually really good. I might I'm I'm giving certainty to these industries while still protecting the environment." So he's he's he likes to take credit for doing some tangible things like cleaning up toxic sites, finding big polluters that, you know, have really broken laws. And like cleaning up lead in drinking water. Those are those are really, you know, that sounds really good. So your EPA press release, EPA finds polluter, that kind of thing. Yeah, EPA finds polluter. Got it. So he said in, in one of his hearings last week that he had finished more Superfund cleanups this year than the previous administration had in the last year. And the AP found that that was technically true, but finishing a cleanup is the result of years and years of work and basically taking it off the list of toxic sites is just an administrative step after years and years of work. You just sort of sign the dotted line. And that's what Pruitt's talking about. He's like, we've cleaned up more sites this year than last year. And it's like, actually, you didn't clean up those sites. Those sites were cleaned up under the Obama administration. And when I read that, I was... I said to myself, oh, three is a trend because he did this on enforcement fines and he did this on lead, too, where he keeps saying we're we're going to fix the previous administration's mistakes on lead. And so we gave one hundred million dollars to Flint, Michigan. Actually, Obama and the last Congress gave one hundred million dollars to Flint, Michigan. You just signed the dotted line on that paper. And then it's the same for enforcement against uh, against big polluters. He's like, we we enforced we collected all these fines from 
from these big polluters. And it's like those legal cases were done. Again, it's just signing the dotted line. The majority of those legal cases were started and litigated by the attorneys in Obama's EPA enforcement office. Cynthia Giles, who was Obama's EPA enforcement chief, is just so mad about this. <laughs> she she's she does her own spreadsheets of all of the of all of the cases that she worked on, and she'll send them over to New York Times reporter. She sent them to me. Um, and she'll just be like, do you see this? You see all the money and you can trace it to when the case started. Do you see who started it? So, she, so she's mad about this. And the crazy thing is that, you know, months ago, Pruitt was on the radio being like, Obama wasn't that great, you guys. But all the accomplishments that he's been touting are things that they did. This is sort of like classic D.C. spin in a way, right? Like, he, like you come into office and you take credit for everything that's going on, right? You know, it's like. You know, oh, hey, the economy is really going great. And maybe you didn't do it yet. You've been in office for two days. Um, but does that does that suggest to you, this is this is maybe a bit of a high concept question, but does that suggest to you that there is a desire by Scott Pruitt's EPA that he is feeling some of this pressure that he's feeling? Because he is talking about all the stuff that he's doing. This is a guy who came in who, like, doesn't like the EPA, sued it, wanted to go away. There are plenty of people uh, in conservative politics who have said for years we should just get rid of the EPA. But and I don't know if Scott Pruitt was a guy who said that, but he's a guy definitely who would fight fight the EPA a lot. He comes in now he's now he's the head of it, and he's saying all these things that are kind of like, hey, the EPA's doing stuff like it's good, it's good. To, I mean, is that is that something worth noting that this is that guy that this is Scott Pruitt of all people saying t- touting the good things the EPA does. He can't be the head of the Environmental Protection Agency unless he at least makes it look like he wants to protect the environment a little bit. Because the EPA itself and environment regulation itself does have wide public support. And the people that I mentioned before that he needs their support, yes, it's the fossil fuel industry. But like I said, it's also coal state voters and Trump voters. And those people do actually have suffer from environmental problems. So if you live in a coal state, if you live in a natural gas state... Um, you do want to see those industries thrive, but you also don't want your kids to be breathing in toxic air. So generally, polling, even in those communities, they're like, well, I I don't want everything to be awful environmentally. Uh That's sort of a bipartisan thing. Um, So I think that he recognizes that. And I do think that if those voters don't see results, at least in getting their jobs back, and then, you know, the toxic site next to them is still it's still there and it's still polluting their streams, then they're going to start turning the other way. And I want to ask you a quick question sort of about, and, I, and I don't, I'm not sure how, how much anybody knows about this, but this this notion of this paranoia that Scott Pruitt seems to have that is the, the leading cause of this desire to have this, uh, you know, very large security uh, contingent and the, the, the private phone booth. Um, early days of the administration, I remember reporting being about how it people were nervous that like old Obama people were like spying on Pruitt and like you know trying to undermine him. Um, and then obviously he mentioned when he was speaking in Congress some of the death threats that he gets and things like that. Does that kind of attitude? I mean, <coughs> excuse me, is that shot through sort of like the EPA nowadays? Like that kind of that that feeling that like this is a I don't know. Like, I mean, when I watched him saying that and I watched him talking about that and, I, and you've seen some of the things he spent money on, if you have an administrator at the top who is this afraid of everybody around him, that has to have some sort of impact down the channel, like right? down the line, right? 
If, if that's what you think is actually motivating his high security, if you think fear, genuine fear is what is motivating his spending on that, then then perhaps. But I would argue that it, it doesn't necessarily stem from fear. It it perhaps stems from a way to sort of inflate your own importance. Um, number one, to say, you know, all these death threats are coming towards me, um, which there is no proof of. Right. Uh, you know, there are a few, but none that none that other EPA administrators haven't gotten. You're saying, you know, I need all this protection because people are so against me. It's it's sort of number one makes you look like what you're doing must be really impactful and important. And there must be a large deep state of people that are out to out to get you, which there aren't. I mean, there are crazy Twitter people, but those exist all over the place. Sure. Um, and it sort of makes it I think it emboldens a bit the Trump base idea like, oh, yeah, it's like these greenies are really going after him. They can't stand him. So he needs a bug sweep. He needs he needs 24 hour security. He can't even sit and coach. I mean, this guy is effective. Yeah, so I've not it... figured out the idea of why first class is supposed to be a higher security situation. I think you could board the plane earlier. It must be or something. I, I, don't, I don't really no, understand. Nobody's that. figured that out. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, of course, as a prominent vice news correspondent, I often get upgraded uh, <laughs> on a less than 500 mile trip to first class. And uh, I do find myself feeling safer up there, you know? Definitely. I you get like a selection safer. of chips you can choose from. I've actually never been, I've never been in first class. Oh, well, Emily. So I don't know. Emily. I don't have any firsthand reporting I, experience. Day. I look at photos of first class on, I looked at photos of the Emirates first class suite, which is one, um, I don't know that Pruitt took this trip. I think he had a trip booked that that he had to cancel. Um, and yeah, don't quote me on this. I guess I'm saying it on the record anyway. But there, <laughs> right? We'll just there, turn there was a there was <laughs> an, a first class Emirates suite that he either took or booked at one point, and those things look dope. It's a hotel room yeah. in the air. You get a shower. It's a shower. Yeah, <clears throat> I never thought anything like that. I'm talking about like I've been upgraded. From a trip from Washington to like Pittsburgh, Ooh. yeah. So you get uh, you get uh, they bring a basket that has like various kinds of chips in it. That's the mm. that's that's the big difference. Um, but yes, I, I guess my question is sort of like you mentioned the idea of someone like a uh, enforcement agent and how frustrated she is, and she's outside the government. Yeah, people who are working for Scott Pruitt inside the government. Um, that frustration must be, is it higher? Is it lower? I mean, I don't know. Like, are there a lot of people who are, I mean, I, I know there are a lot of people who are excited about what Scott Pruitt is doing, but I I, I imagine inside the EPA that that excitement is not No. Career, career employees at the EPA went to go work at the EPA because they want to protect the environment. Um, and then having this language thrown at them all the time about the rule of law and cooperative federalism and, um, you, you know, a bolstering the economy is just not what most people signed up for when they started working for the Environmental Protection Agency. They didn't start working for the Cooperative Federalism Economic Bolstering Agency. <laughs> you know, I have a friend who used to be a uh, climate scientist at the EPA and left right beforehand, um, right before Trump got elected because he just knew that this was not going to be a good call. And, you know, he, he still has friends that are in the EPA, and it's just an SHIT show. I mean, there was a protest outside the EPA uh, 
recently. So what are they waiting for? I mean, <clears throat> people are there. You know, we talked about the idea of uh, Scott Pruitt, uh, his, his 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 actions already having impact. How, fa- I mean, you know, Scott Pruitt gets replaced, somebody else comes in, those career guys, are they just like ready to roll things back to the way they were before Pruitt was there? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what should we be looking for? In this, I mean, we okay. We talked about the idea that that Pruitt seems to have sort of weathered this storm of scandal that he had. And by the way, like it was objectively like legit a lot of scandal. Like we're talking about like lobbyist ties, free stuff, wasting government money, like legit, legit. And there were like legit accusations of corruption that could make him vulnerable to prosecution under federal bribery laws. That's that kind of stuff. That condo. Scandal is kind of boring and complicated to talk about. But once you look at what it actually means, you're like, oh, that that is teetering on actual corruption. And that does like if a prosecutor wanted to, they won't. Trump's DOJ is never going to go after Pruitt. But technically, that be like that behavior can open you up for prosecution. I mean, right. Potentially it could. But so so the idea is so we have all these scandals and everything. What are you watching for? From the EPA in the next, you know, in in the short term coming up, like what should be people who are wanting to pay attention who care about this issue? And I honestly, when I'm on the road, the thing I hear the most about is people have questions about the EPA because they the, Scott Pruitt is very well known by most people. So, what are you looking for? What do you put? What, what's the next sort of thing to pay attention to? I'm trying to keep my eye on the effects of the actual policies that Pruitt is implementing at EPA. Number one, um, the proposed science policy. That he just put through. I mean, listen, I'll just back up for a second and say there are a lot of scandals happening surrounding Pruitt. I think that we've realized at this time that unless something really, really big happens, his job is safe. And people who care about the environment can't bank on the fact that Pruitt is going to leave. If you really care about what's happening at the EPA, you have to start looking at the effect of what he's he's doing. Um, These scandals at a certain point become a distraction. And especially since they have basically no impact on his job. And so the most recent policy that he proposed at EPA was to change how science works, like how I mentioned. And the effect of it, it's a so-called transparency policy. It's a tobacco industry technique of saying you can't use any science here that has private data behind it, which just, which is an implication that that data is maybe fake or, or something like sure. that, which, which it isn't. Um, so private human health data. So that's most epidemiological studies that that study how pollution affects human health. If you can't use that rule, those that body of science, air pollution science at EPA, then you can legally weaken clean air laws. Um, it, it becomes much easier to legally justify like a large repeal or weakening of, say, um, a law that controls particulate matter or soot in the air, right? Under the Clean Air Act, you have to regulate uh, soot to a certain level that's that's the best available science okay. says protects humans' health. If you can't use the majority of the science, then that level goes way up. It'll you know? ra- just raise the level. Yeah, yeah. So that rule is... In this a- is the idea of a law that's tied to the understanding that science advances, mm-hmm. right? So it's tied to the idea that, like, new science comes out, we're going to know new stuff, and the laws are ready to rock and roll. And you're saying, in this case, the old science, like, sort of 
that new sign should just be erased, and then that will allow sort of the levels of this pollution is, to go up. Yes. That's because, remarkable. And this also, but this also erases old science, like super old, like the basis for all of our knowledge science. There's a study called the Harvard Six Cities Study, which is the basis for almost all of our knowledge on air pollution science and, and how particulate matter can cause premature death. And it's a study of six different cities that had huge air pollution events. One of them, I believe, is the Great Pea Super in London. Do you ever watch The Crown? I, I, I have. I've not seen The Crown. I know The Great Pea Super is. Yeah. Well, The, the Crown does a great depiction of it. I have heard it. Um, yeah. I've heard this. And But the, the, that shows, that's the basis for a lot of our science that shows how air pollution particulates can trigger a heart attack or they can, like, can trigger a stroke or an event in somebody who has a pre-existing condition. So this idea of changing the way the science is actually used, which would then eliminate a lot of the science that we do use, that's the next thing to look forward to or to look at or to pay attention to. Yes, I would say uh, pay attention to how this rule gets implemented and how it's used um, because that will, I think this rule will really be the way that Scott Pruitt does or does not get away with actually repealing regulations. Well, hopefully a lot of Zyrtec will prevent this particulate matter <laughs> from getting in me. Emily Atkin, I love talking to you all the time. You know a lot of really cool stuff, and everybody should follow your work at New Republic. Uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having oh, me. Always good to see you. You too. Yeah, breathe easy. <laughs> Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Good morning, folks. We are in the home stretch of the Bill Press Show. Uh, I am Evan McMorris Santoro of Vice News. Check me out, Vice News Tonight, every night on HBO, 7.30 p.m. Uh, they're swearing in it because it's HBO, so it's great. It's, it's the news people swear. Fantastic. Um, with me for the final <laughs> half hour is Ben Terrace of the Washington Post. Hello, Ben. How are you? Good. How are you? Do you ever swear in the Washington Post? Never. No. You're not allowed to, right? No, no, no. Bezos has direct orders that you're not allowed to swear, even like in, in talking. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. No, that's that's something right. people should know about journalists. Uh, we have a lot of journalists on the show. I hang out with a lot of journalists. I've never heard a curse word. Yeah, no, we're, we're we have good decorum. You yeah. had to dump an F-bomb last time I was on this <laughs> show. True, Can you swear on this show? No, no. you can't. No, no, you can't. <laughs> no, last time I was on it, literally, I'm just like, wow, I'm winding up. I'm in, like some, I'm ha- I'm like in the middle of like some rants. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then, and then they're like, bang. And I, I look over. And you're still here. And Bill Press is like this like complete like radio, I mean, broadcast like you know, God, he knows everything he's doing. He's been doing it for years, and he just play, he just trucks on right past. He didn't even notice that. It, I, he noticed obviously, but didn't. I you mean, get fined for that or something? Uh, I happens? have to. I have to tell you. Well, we well we have the show. No, they dumped it. We have a show in an eight second delay. Oh, okay. So if you were to say a <laughs> string of expletives that uh-huh. go longer than eight seconds, then we'd be in real trouble. Oh, I could do that. Is but, that a well, challenge? Well, it's not a great place to try it. <laughs> right, but right. I will say this: we have the eight second delay. We've had to use it for Bill more than anybody else. <laughs> oh. So that's. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. So before you give him too much credit for being a broadcast professional, we've had to use it for Bill. Did you have to dump him on the day after? I knew. I I, I thought he was pretty fired up on the day after the uh, White House correspondence dinner. Was he did you dump it on that one at all? No, we didn't have to dump that. Okay. Although I thought about dumping some of his comments, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he did not curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you guys got a Drudge Link, I think, off of that. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, Ben. So one thing we've been talking about all day, okay, since I first got here, let's just play it one more time since the fact that we're going to talk about it for the final half hour, okay? And then we're going to talk about the story that you have recently written. So, we're gonna, so we are now going to play again Rudy Giuliani 
and Sean Hannity on Sean Hannity's program last night on Fox News. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So, Ben, you've recently read a story that I think is one of the best stories about what life is like uh, for all of us, but especially for D.C. these days. Is this a thing? Is this a boom? <laughs> How Washington copes with the insane Trump era news cycle, which is this thing where every day, like I was just, t- I was telling the story at the beginning of the show about how I now think things are definitely big deals when I get an NPR news alert. Because mm. NPR never puts out news they're ju- alerts. They're judicious about it. And the news alerts come out like so much after everybody else's. Like it's like a half hour later, here comes your NPR news alert. It's like kind of cute in a way. So CNN will just like, whatever, sure, anything, they'll alert it. Um, your publication, Washington Post, little alert happy. Um, Politico, no Politico, very alert happy. So my phone just starts going nuts. I'm like, all right, this seems like it could be a deal, like a thing, but I don't know because I have. And then NPR came in, like, oh, oh, this, this is, is a thing. thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like that. That clip is so funny. It's sort of like, remember that that SNL skit with uh, Michael Che doing Lester Holt, and he's like interviewing, you know, the guy who plays Trump. I don't even remember who was playing Trump. Alex Baldwin, probably Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And he's like, you know, he says a thing about how he fired Comey because of Russia. He had Russia on his mind. And then Michael Che is like, oh, is that it? Did I did I get him? Did I, did I get him? Oh, 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 nothing matters. This is like the exact opposite of that. Right. This is just like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't pay attention to what he just said there. Like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. It's not, we, we didn't get him. We didn't get him. For viewers at home, we did not get him. It was like literally the opposite. It's the like, eight second delay. And, and it's the same thing, which is just like, you know, when everything is a thing, it's hard to know if anything matters or if nothing matters, right? Which is, this is a huge deal, and it should be a huge deal, but what does that mean? I mean, is it going to be a huge deal for a day, and then there's another huge deal, and we just can't pay attention to everything? Right. I, mean, I, I, I to, don't know. I is it a thing? I'm going to pull up, because uh, uh, Donald Trump tweeted about this stuff this morning. Okay. Um, and I'm just pulling up his tweets really, really quickly. And when I say Donald Trump tweeted about it, I mean somebody tweeted under Donald Trump's Twitter handle for him, because this was not Donald Trump tweeting, because it was very... Not Trump all right. Well, p- well, Trump's from uh, tweets from Trump's feed. We, I mean, yeah, you tweets, know, tweets I, 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 I'm, I'm not gonna. I, I don't want to. Sure. Chart d- assigning. Fair. That's fair. But here, my here, God, let's let's put a here, little bit. Here, here's here's what here's what happened from the real Donald Trump Twitter account. Uh, in the series of tweets, Mr. Cohen, an attorney, received a monthly retainer not from the campaign and having nothing to do with the campaign, from which he entered into through reimbursement a private contract between two parties known as a non-disclosure agreement or NDA. Oh, the base is going to love this. These agreements <laughs> are very common among celebrities and people of wealth. In this case, it is in full force and effect and will be used in arbitration for damages against Miss Clifford, parentheses Daniels. The agreement was used to stop the false and extortionist accusations made by her about an affair despite having already signed a detailed letter admitting that there was no affair. Prior to its violation by Miss Clifford and her attorney, this was a private agreement. Money from the campaign or campaign contributions played no role in this transaction. Ah, nice simple language from the president. Yeah, you know how he's a, a lot so of exclamation points in yeah. that anywhere. No, uh, by the way, uh, any I, sads? No sads. Uh, 
everything was spelled correctly. <clears throat> there were no weird capitalizations, which is why I said, I mean, look, I, if it came from his Twitter account, it's official presidential statement, right? Like, I get that, but. Uh, yeah, I think your point. Okay, it's so. It's clear that Donald Trump did not lay in bed during his executive time and write those So is that tweet. tweet a thing? That's a thing. I don't, you can't figure, like, well, that, that tweet is, in that tweet he's saying, he's saying that he did know, I mean, it's like, like, the point. This this is about the fact that Trump said I had no idea about the payment, and then Giuliani said he did have an idea about the payment, and now Trump is saying what I did have an idea. It's very convoluted. I mean, I have to say, I have I really have a hard time following his his tweets. It's just trying to muddy it all up. I I think, I, I think that's right. That's kind of what I was getting. It's, I I don't understand what he's trying to say here. Like he's trying to throw it back onto Stormy Daniels slash Stephanie Clifford, uh, and saying that she broke her NDA. And sort of making, trying to make that the issue. He does address. But that's the, already been. That, I think. Yeah. I think basically right. part of it is like this idea of the retainer, which is it wasn't like he gave money to Michael Cohen right. saying, "Please pay back the porn star." He it just was like, "Here's a retainer. bunch of money. Like it's gonna reimburse you for whatever you need to do. You know, just do your job." I think that's it. Muddies it enough that you now don't know theoretically whether he knew or not right. about this thing. I, Basically, this idea of whether something is a thing or not is like you can't know in real time whether something is important or not because these are all shocking things that happen, and you won't know until way later what actually matters. And and there's so many different ways to determine whether something matters. It can be an election happens, and if there's a wave election for Democrats, well, all these things mattered. If it's, you know, not a wave election for Democrats, well, then maybe they didn't matter electorally speaking. If the Robert Mueller investigation, you know, comes to a conclusion and it turns out that the Flynn firing was a big deal, well, that was a thing, but we can't know in the moment. But the problem is, because things are so crazy and so many crazy things are happening, everybody wants to know the second something happens, whether it's a thing or not. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Right, it's a thing. Yeah, and like, you know, look, how long ago was it that 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 Trump's, you know, wild hippie doctor uh, said that he had the letter dictated to him saying that Trump was like the health would be the healthiest president ever by Trump. That would be the only thing we were talking about for weeks. And, and you know what? People are, you know, especially in the left. Literally, we said on the beginning of the show, we said we mentioned that briefly <laughs> and we're like, you're not going to hear about that again. On oh, the sorry, show. I'm, so, sorry. No, no, I'm no, sorry to bring it back up Because again. it's not a thing. Yeah, well, that's a, but it is a thing. Right. Of course it's a thing. And so, like, I saw on Twitter all these, you know, like, you know, left uh, leaning operatives being like, well, the media is not covering the fact that, you know, he had a, he falsified his medical documents the way that they would cover it for Hillary. And it's like, well, you know what? They sort of did, but then they had to cover nine million other things also because there's so many things. And it's like, I don't know. I remember there's like some cartoon from a while back that was trying to make a point, which is like, you know, 1984 and like George Orwell was like, everyone will control information. And Aldous Huxley was like, there's going to be so much crazy stuff out there that you're not going to be able to sort through what's important and what's not. And like, that's what's winning. It's not that the information is all getting controlled. It's that there's so much stuff that you don't have the bandwidth to cover at all. So everything's a thing, but nothing's a thing. So you talk to a lot of um, people for this story who are like in journalism about it. And like, so how is it affecting the job that people, I mean, it's, you wrote it as a Washington story, even though it's obviously a national story. Everybody in America is dealing with this because it's constant stream of news. Um, but how is it actually affecting the city, do you feel like? Yeah, I mean, it's emanating out of Washington. So here it's like if you live in the country and you're tied to your phone a little bit and tied to the news a little bit, like you might feel like you're going a little nuts. But in D.C., it's like people can't escape it. And so the the lead, the reason that, is, that the title is Is It a Boom is the lead character, or at least the kind of the, the lead anecdote is about this guy, Ben Wittes, who's got a big Twitter following. He's a legal guy. 
Uh, kind he's of just a, some Twitter guy. He's, he's some Twitter, Twitter guy. He's like Twitter friends friend. with Comey, so he's famous for being friends with Comey. And oh he's boy, got this, but that's a real a, yeah, thrilling, yeah, yeah, that's a very real thrilling exciting. night oh, out. Lordy, Lordy, what a friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go shop for brown shoes? <laughs> and so this guy's like, you know, he's a smart enough guy, but like this news cycle seems to have like kind of driven him a little mad, which is every time there's a thing, he wants to tweet it and he says, boom, and then he fires a tiny little thing that he calls a baby cannon and then... It's like that indicates that there's big news, which is just a crazy weird thing to do anyway. Yeah. But now he's having like this existential crisis, which is like, how do I know when the booms are booms? Like if if I'm booming these little things and I miss a big thing, then will anybody trust the intellectual rigor of this process? And right. It's like, if I'm firing a baby cannon for this doctor, right. which seems very baby cannon worthy. It seems boom worthy. But if it's not really a boom, but it's not. it might not be a boom. And it, he didn't boom it, so it's over. Not, he might not boom anything ever again after the story. I don't know. But <laughs> either way, it's like it's this, he's it's kind of it sounds insane, but it's also sort of what everyone's going through. I mean, like every time news breaks, I'm not thinking like, is it a boom? I'm thinking, is it a thing? Although now I'm going to start thinking, is it a boom? I can't I just can't help it. Yeah, I think the boom thing is great. I, and I think that also it's I think it, it I think li- listen, there's a thing that happens because both you and I have. And me to a lesser extent you, than you have different sort of <clears throat> jobs in the media than I used to have anyway. I used to be a daily news reporter working at BuzzFeed, sitting in the White House. What happened in the White House that day, that was my job, you're right? booming your baby cannon Now all day. my job is supposedly, I mean, I have to do a lot of day of stuff. I mean, you're still going to see, like, on Vice News tonight, tonight, you're going to see a piece I did that I'm going to write when I leave this office, uh, this this uh, this studio. Um, but most of the time working on stories, they're supposed to be a little bit bigger, um, and the hard thing about that is that, like, wh- while I'm trying to do my job, which is trying to sort of, I think, talk about the overarching things that actually do matter and last, right? I try to make stories for Vice News that will last for a month is sort of how I think about it in my head, mm-hmm. that, it, that it's, this can be relevant for a month. That's harder and harder to do because you're constantly inundated with stuff that right. it feels like, how can I look back? And the reality is, right, like, the levers of power – move at the same speed they always did, right? I mean, we right. you know, we creeped through getting some laws done. We got we just basically got this tax cut that's basically all that happened out of the uh out of the Congress before we got to the election cycle, which is nothing's going to happen again. That's the same thing that always happens, but because of these baby cannons going off all the time, <laughs> we feel like I don't know, it's like we we, we aren't able I I wonder if we're able to inform people uh, the same amount, you know, like like the right way. Because like, we were way, so distracted. We were talking about what's a thing and what isn't a thing and yeah. what, like, what's a big deal. I'm reminded of a tweet uh, from before the election in 2016 from Bronze Hammer, Jesse Farrar, who's very funny on Twitter, Bronze Hammer. And he just says, well, I'd like to see old Donnie Trump wriggle his way out of this jam. <laughs> Trump wriggles his way out of the jam very easily. <laughs> ah, well, nevertheless. <laughs> and that's like, that's that's what so much of the news is these days. Yeah, It's just like, oh, we got him. And then, like, it doesn't matter. Trump just moves on. Well, but the thing is, we don't know. Like, it doesn't matter in this moment. That's the thing. It, it right. just doesn't. But it, you really don't know what will matter. Like, when Flint, we're not talking about Flynn being fired. We're not talking really even about Comey being fired. We're not talking about the summer Zervos lawsuit that almost nobody remembers is going on. Right. right. And so we think, oh, well, that's not a thing, except for it might be, right? Like, if there is a court case with her and every single day there's going to be discovery and there's going to be high-profile television, like, then it becomes a thing. Well, I mean, the, the, if the Flynn firing is the basis of the whole Mueller investigation, then it, it is a thing. The, we just don't know it yet. The, the Stormy Daniels right. story, I think, is the perfect embodiment of exactly. that. Exactly. Because exactly right. it came out 
it made a ve- I mean, very little waves at first because it, to, to your point that you were making earlier, people were just like, oh, yeah, of course he did. Like, of course he had sex uh, with an adult film actress and there's a whole agreement and all that. And then it went away. But then it came back. Right. And then it went away. And then it came back. And then it came back. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's one of those stories that, like, when it first came out, I was just like, oh, well, this will be a 12 right, hour blip. story. Well, 12 hours it's also, max. It's also like, it's very much of DC to only think things are a thing if they're going to matter electorally. I mean, I remember there being some big news. I think it was like a Farenthold report that was, you know, it could have even been the Access Hollywood. I don't remember. But then watching, you know, MSNBC the next day and Mark Halperin was there and he's like, well, I don't think this is really a bombshell because I don't think it's going to move any votes. Yeah, Halperin was like, let's not talk about that man being shitty to women, uh, uh, terrible to women. (laughs) Oh, man. I did it. You did all right. I literally did it. Yeah, you did it. But you did good until then. From the hosting chair. (laughs) You did okay. Yeah, you did okay. Anyway, all right, fine. We were dragging Mark Halperin. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point being. I get your point. The point is just like things can be important even if they aren't electorally important, even if they, I mean, these are all things, right? I mean, they really should be. Just because we can't focus on it forever doesn't mean you you shouldn't put it in your brain somewhere that these are the things that are happening in the world right now because it's really insane. I mean, it is. That's right. No, and I think that, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I worry sometimes that, you know, be, I mean, that that issue's been an issue forever, but I worry that there's sometimes this this, this idea that, like, we, we just had Emily Atkin in from the uh, New Republic, and she is really good on... The environment stuff. She covers the hell out of this environment stuff. And she was talking about uh, Scott Pruitt, right? And all of the Scott Pruitt is doing and the, you know, the small impacts that it makes on people's lives. And, um, you know, because of whatever new revelation is happening at all times, then the desire for something new that so-called old stories just aren't as appealing, even though they really are still pretty. Uh, Scott Pruitt is an incredibly appealing story. Yeah. And you know basically all you're going to know. Like yeah. at this point, like yeah, the baby the, cannon you, you, has boomed. You get the idea, right? Right. The cannon has boomed as much as it's going to boom, but but this it's still very interesting. Um, speaking of uh, potential cannons, uh, from your publication, Abby Phillip, uh, White House reporter, Washington Post tweets well, she's at CNN now. Oh, she's at CNN now, yeah. formerly the Washington Post. I missed that baby cannon going off. Oh yeah, boom. Um, now it's CNN, uh, but a good a good White House reporter tweets uh, in a gaggle of reporters at the White House just now. Sarah Sanders refused to answer multiple questions about why she and the president made statements about the Daniels case that we now know to be untrue. Sanders insisted she couldn't comment because of ongoing litigation. So that's, uh, you know, at least another small canon sound for the day. Yeah, it could also be like, I'm not going to give you my tax returns because I'm under audit. Like, yeah, right. Who who knows? Well, I was saying we had seen this that... I, I was saying that we had seen this actually moments after uh, Giuliani spoke on Hannity. I mentioned this earlier that Hogan Gidley, who is sort of who is Sarah Sanders' deputy, he also works at the White House uh, in the comms department, um, said that like, oh, we're not, we're not, we don't have anything to say about that because right. because it's, it's, it's a legal thing. Anyway, that's getting you all up to speed on all that stuff. Um, so well, now, also by the way, that that is just sort of like not to hype too much on this tweet, but like. This really isn't a problem for the Trump administration. Like they're pretty, they're able to like wiggle out of these situations fairly easily. Now, will this catch up with them? We'll see, right? But like, they, it is until it isn't, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the question about this one particularly is, um, the you know the fact that her own lawyer has to, like Michael Avenatti has made it into now Trump is not play it. Can you play that, Michael Avenatti? 
Well, I, I think that this shows that the president has significant potential criminal liability for felonies associated with campaign finance violations, as well as potential money laundering violations, as well as potential fraud violations relating to these, these law firm invoices that we've now heard about. I mean, this, this opens the Pandora's box, if you will, into serious, serious issues for Donald Trump. I said it weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. No way know how he will be forced to ultimately resign. This is a bombshell. But so this is what this is what this lawyer this lawyer makes it electoral like makes it so much about like he's gonna take down Trump. Yeah. That, was, that, a, was, that wasn't the baby cannon boom. That was like he was just like boom, it's over. <laughs> he's setting a really high bar. It's kind of strange in in that way. Like I mean that he's gonna like but anyway, that's what he's doing. Yeah. That's how you do it. Because I think you have to speak at that level to break through. That's right. That's right. I mean, if you if you just say, oh, this is something that we're going to be working through for a long time, people are not going to pay attention to you. You basically have to say, the world is going to change tomorrow. Tune in. And then you tune in tomorrow, and it's like, well, here's the cliffhanger. Tune in the next day. I mean, it just you have to keep the, the energy level high around your thing. Otherwise, people aren't going to have the bandwidth for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had Roji Gray in here, too. We were talking about sort of like the alt-right and sort of where they're at now. And talk about you know that was a huge thing. Now that's gone. Now you know the Michael Wolf book that's gone. Coney book that's gone. You know, Crazy Doctor that's gone. Like it's just like, yeah, it's but, wild. And who knows though, like where that all goes. I mean, it's possible that you know that's all in everyone's brain somewhere, and it could be affecting the way that people think about you know who they're going to vote for or or whether they support the president or not, and they just might not even know it. I mean, like you, you, people will remember it, it somewhere in their brain that a lot of this stuff is happening. Uh, yeah. So what is the, so what's, what's the next thing for you? What are you going to work on now? What's uh, the new thing? Well, so, I mean, basically like my, my job is to it mostly profiles and mm-hmm. I feel like there's only, I, I make a joke that's sort of like, you know, if, if I covered the Boston Red Sox, I'd have to write like, you know, what's it like to play for the Red Sox in the age of Trump? Like that's just sort of what everything is. So it's people running for Senate, people running for Congress, people working in the White House, people who want to work in the White House. It's just kind of profiling like that. The scene, the scenes in in D.C. and like emanating from D.C. of, of folks that kind of living in this in this world right now. What do you get the sense of uh, how the city is doing? I mean, it's not that different as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's it's it's higher energy and like the the nerves and are more frayed here than I think you know generally are. But things work the same way. I mean, people still. So there's like a story that came out in the New York Times that people were talking about the other day about Matt and Mercy Schlapp, who are you know, the first couple of Trump. I wrote about them a while ago, too. Uh, and they, I feel like, are a pretty emblematic story for, like, how things really aren't that different. Everybody's talking about, oh, they're making all this money off of this president. Um, you know, the lobbying shop that they run is doing well. And Mercy's in the White House. And her, you know, she's getting a, a bigger and bigger deal. I've, you know, I've This is the Schlapps. The one Schlapps. of them, uh, the, Matt Schlapp is head of the American Conservative Union, host right. CPAC. Mercedes Schlapp is the strategic communications director at the White House. And maybe in the running to be communicate the the. The full, but yeah, yeah, right. And so they were um, just sort of basic Republican conservative operatives. They decided to get on board the Trump train, right. and and they just rode that Trump train. And right. now they're sort of 
very they're you know they're fetid all over the town. And their story is basically the Washington D.C. story. I mean, like they make the point, and you know, I, I I can see this point that if Hillary Clinton had won, like, don't you think John Podesta would be doing really well, and like you know the Podesta lobby shop would be doing much better than the going bankrupt as it did? I mean, it's just everybody always is like kind of linked onto someone. It's just that Trump is a much more controversial figure to be linked onto, and. D.C. is filled with that. I mean, it's not like lobbying's gone away. It's just different people have come in and, you know, picked up the picked up the money. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, like, to me, I always think my personal take on this is that, you know, this idea of, um, I don't like, like, like to call it swamp draining, but, like, at least some sort of, like, swamp reclamation. I don't know, some, some sort of, like, project that turns a swamp into, like, a nice place you'd want to be. Yeah, swamp um, landscape architecture. Exactly. It's not a bad idea, and it's funny because... Um, there is a sort of point, like like if Trump can't do it, like really, I don't know if anybody can do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's he he definitely diagnosed a problem that lots of people have, even people who don't agree with Trump about what the solution is, which is Washington D.C. is swampy. I mean, everybody basically yeah, thinks right. That. I mean, yeah. the show Veep exists because of that, and Veep right. does not agree with Donald Trump. I mean, they're just they yep. have the same idea, they just think of the the answer totally differently. Well, you guys got to keep reading everything that Ben Terrace puts out about this city. He's the best reporter covering it right now. Um, I'm Evan McMorris Santoro, Vice News, filling in for Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Thanks for having Show. me.